Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined today by my dear friend and uh, wonderful actor and colleague, Aisha Antoine. Uh, Aisha, welcome. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, my good friend and wonderful colleague, Mr Hunter. Um, I'm not going to dwell on all things lockdown. We've kind of exhausted all of that conversation, if that's all right. I'm, I'm going to jump straight in, in a sense, and, uh, and ask you a little bit about your childhood. I believe you were born in Essex, is that correct? Yes, for my shame. No, no shame. Born in Barking Hospital, a born survivor. Um, kind of for the first few, I think first few months, I lived in Ilford with my grandmother. And then we moved out to Woodford, which is also Essex, went to school in Essex. Yeah, I'm an Essex girl. And you're an Essex girl, but of Welsh and Dominican stock, is that correct? (laughs) I hate to correct you so early on, Mr Hunter, Um, but it's Dominican. So you have the Dominican Republic and Dominica. Uh, And there is Welsh there as well or not? Yes, my grandmother on my uh, father's side is a lovely Welsh lady. So how does that combination work? Um, um, <laughs> well, as in, as in how did it work? Well, I guess, what have I... Well, my nana is very Welsh in that uh, she's very musical. She loves to read and, um, yes, yeah, so loves knowledge, loves music and is very family oriented. Uh, so I think that is that is particularly Welsh. But I think the most thing that kind of takes in all of my heritage is uh, being small, being a small islander. Uh, Dominique, Dominica, a uh, tiny island in between Martinique and Guadeloupe is a, it's basically a volcano. Um, and I think there's something very uh, introspective but also a bit uh, small woman syndrome um, that I think I've inherited from my Welsh and my Dominican heritage. Well, it sounds a fantastic heritage. And uh, I have a... Well, I'll ask the question first. When would you say you first got the showbiz bug? I would say uh, I've always enjoyed making my mum laugh. One of the first things I remember was telling a joke to my mum, watching her laugh, and then her getting me to repeat it for various adults. And I loved it. I never got bored of it. And I think, yeah, I think that was probably the first I just enjoyed, yeah, hearing my mum laugh. How old were you, do you think? I would say about three or four. I can't remember. And I remember the joke. The joke was about... I mean, it's probably very inappropriate. It was. <laughs> Could you tell us the joke, Aisha? Uh, it will be a very bad retelling because it's very vague. <laughs> it's about people sat round a table. I'm a great storyteller. <laughs> so people sat round a table, and somebody and a couple, lots of couples sat round a table, and somebody says, "Pass me the sugar, honey," and somebody else says, "Pass me the something, something." And then the punchline is, pass me the bacon, you pig. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
very good. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I just, I really thrived off making people roll around with laughter. It's a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I, I can really relate to the notion of making your parents laugh. I was very keen to try and make my dad laugh, who was a very funny man, and made, but, but didn't laugh much himself. So if I managed to make him laugh, I felt a real sense of achievement. So I, I, I can see what you mean, yeah. My mum worked really hard, and we were just talking recently, actually, about what it was like to be a young black single mother in the early 80s, um, and it was really stressful. My mum was stressed and angry a lot of the time, and I think the relief of seeing that face break into laughter and a giant smile had a lot to do with kind of countering the everyday frustrations you yeah know? no of course no I absolutely I can see that um am I right in saying that your first appearance on television uh, was on Saturday Live <laughs> it was yeah and am I also right in saying that you rapped the salt and pepper song express yourself <laughs> yes you are uh, it was going live. Philip Schofield, Sarah Green, Gordon the Gopher. Uh, what were the two guys? Trevor and Simon. I have worked out I was eight. And it was a, it was a, a relative contacted my mum to say they've got this talent contest. Anyone can join in. Uh, Aisha would be great because I, as well as the joke telling, it's very, uh, common in my family all of us when I was younger all of the cousins would do song and singing and dancing for the adults at every family event um so yeah I love to sing and dance and blah 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 anyway mum said let's go might as well so we fought for the audition my favorite song at the time was Buffalo Stance by Nina Cherry so we came up with the dance routine and I don't know if you know that song Paul um, it was famous. She was on top of the pops. Nina Cherry, cycling shorts, big pregnant belly, rapping in a bomber jacket. She was my hero. Um, and so it's all about gigolos. That's what the song is all about. <laughs> um, of course, of course. I mean, I had no idea what gigolo was. So I went <laughs> on to the, to the um, audition and did the whole attitude with the rap. Who's that making that? I've even got the still the cassette tape of me sounding like Orville. <laughs> so, so squeaky. And anyway, mum got the phone call about a week later to say, yes, no, it would be great if Aisha could join in. We just think it might not be appropriate at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning to have an eight-year-old singing about chicken <laughs> So we changed the song to Salt and Pepper Express Yourself. Because um, we were, oh, oh my God, there was a whole reveal. I had like MC Hammer trousers, like a whole suit and uh, tassels on the side of the trousers. And then as I started, did a little dance break halfway through, I ripped them off to allow for more flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> that is a brilliant. And also, in some ways, feels like quite a told by an idiot image, if I might say so. I'm telling you. Um, so you... You did that, and then how old were you when you got your uh, Grange Hill audition? So I was about 11, 12. How did the audition come about? Um, I, my cousin went to, was part of like a stage school. I think it was like an Anna Share type thing where you were part of the stage school, and then on a Saturday you'd do the classes. I didn't do that. 
but my um, cousin had told me, or my aunt had told my mum, look, the producers of Grange Hill, because I think back then, I don't know if they do it now, rather than holding uh, auditions where you'd come into Elstree, the producers would go out to visit local drama uh, groups to see kids, you know, being themselves. So they said, look, the producers of Grange Hill are coming, bring Aisha. And we'll just, you know, she's only tiny, we'll just squeeze her in like she's <laughs> pretend she's part of the group. That's exactly what happened. Mum brought me along, kind of squeezed in. Suddenly I was just sat there in the room and um, then they asked me to, yeah, be part of the new cast. It was ridiculous. It was so exciting. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I can think of m- more stories of people uh, uh, who have g- gone along to an audition because someone else was there. Yeah. I remember reading a story about Bob Hoskins, the late great Bob Hoskins who was like a builder and his friend was going along one lunchtime to an audition at the World Court and he said why don't you come along and Bob Hoskins went along this East End geezer his friend didn't get the job but Bob Hoskins did <laughs> and they have never spoken since <laughs> exactly how did the um the character you played was that already kind of created or did you help create the character that you played um I think, you know, if I'm really honest, I can't quite remember the process, but what they, what the audition process was, was them just talking to me and asking questions about me. Um, In the end, my character, Poppy Silver, obviously looked a lot like me, but also was very like me. Very, you know, wore glasses, loved school, loved learning. I did end up getting bullied on the show, but it was because I liked learning. Um, So I think they must have been very clever. I think they must have picked, like, created characters based on the children they had. Yeah, I think it was very clever. And when I think about it, a lot of the stage school children, I mean, a lot of the main cast weren't stage school children. We were from all parts of London, mostly East and and North. Um, Not particularly affluent, not stagey children at all. Uh, and I think that's how they kept it. And I think that feeling, I remember as a, uh, even before your time in, in, uh, watching Grange Hill, and I think that was the thing that was great about it, is that you saw kids who seemed like yourself. Mm. They, they didn't appear like actors or stage school kids. They, that's why kids liked watching it, because you thought, oh, they're like kids in my school. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And it, it meant you, you really saw a change in kids' TV, because I felt like that era of Grange Hill was full of exactly real kids and then you had the influx of kind of American telly where everyone was a bit shiny and Hollywoody and yeah it's a really stark contrast. And also it felt like Grange Hill kind of was a bit more representative of school as it was mm. in terms of the mix of what a school could be. Would you, would you agree with that? For sure, for sure. It was representative of London school. I mean much more so than the school that I was actually attending at that time. And it's really interesting looking back. I mean, recently I've done a lot of looking back at what it was like in my school and, you know, were my teachers in any way discriminatory? Of course they were, but how I had um, apologised for it. I went to quite a, I went to a private school. I was the only black girl in my year. Whereas when I went to Grange Hill, which between the ages of 12 and 16 was, you know, three days a week for about seven, eight months of the year. I wasn't, I was among, I was in a class of children who looked like, who 
represented the community that I lived in in Stratford. Uh, and I think it saved me, Paul. And I'm thinking about it recently. Yeah, it really did, because it was much more representative, much more diverse and true to the world that I knew. But it must have been quite surreal to have those two experiences of education, one real and one not. But the one that's not real is is closer to the world you live in. What it meant was, so the school that I went to, because it was so unlike real life and so much, you know, it was closer to kind of, you know, the public schools of Boris Johnson and that, uh, I knew that that wasn't real. I knew that for some of the people in my school, that was their reality. But I knew that for me, that wasn't real. And I think if that would have been my only access to reality it could have really affected me and warped me but because I had this other makeup made make-believe that was more real I don't know I was just able to kind of keep it balanced I guess it's interesting and how, how long were you in Grange Hill for Aisha uh, five years 12 till 17 yeah it's interesting in a sense because there are lots of examples of actors who as we all know, who who have worked as children, and then mm. it's not an easy progression from being a child actor to an adult actor. Obviously, you've done that very successfully. I suppose you've also, strangely, not exclusively, but almost in reverse, where you've gone from TV into theatre. Whereas for me, as an actor, I, 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 my journey into TV was through theatre, whereas you've kind of done it the other way round. Yeah. Um, is there any regret about starting so young or, or not? Uh, I don't have regrets about starting young. I think because I realised that a lot of the, you know, resilience, kind of self, not confidence, but just kind of knowing who I am in many, many different kind of situations, I think that was all helped by the many different experiences I had when I was younger and the support I had and... You know, I, f I felt invincible when I was younger and I think that has really helped me who I am. So I don't think I have any regrets about that. I think my the regrets I have about my work when I was younger was I didn't take myself, I didn't take the job seriously early enough, I think. It was, it just seemed too good to be true for so much of my career. I'm really getting paid to do this? <laughs> <laughs> But actually, the, the one regret people do ask about is, is drama school. I didn't go drama school. And I think for a long time, I, I, I refused to believe that I could have regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of pure obstinance. Um, but what I, it's not that I regret not going. I regret not finding out for myself whether it was for me. Uh, I counted myself out of it quite early on because of because I'd convinced myself it would just be another version of my school where I was the only one and I had to, you know, do all these kind of mental gymnastics. And for education, I was like, OK, I can do that. But for me to do the thing that I love doing, I just didn't want to be putting up with all of that nonsense. Um, so I regret maybe not seeing whether I could have navigated it for myself before discounting it. But also that's a very valid, you know, reason that you give is that you do you know you'd already experienced something where as you as you said that that necessarily didn't seem that real in terms of your life and then <clears throat> drama school probably at that time and continue probably 
as we know, till still an issue. It probably still wasn't very yeah. reflective of pe- a lot of people's lives. So you chose to go to university, Manchester, and did psychology, is that Yes, right? yes, that is very true. So in my other life, while I was at Grange Hill, I was also juggling uh, wanting to be a barrister. Wow. <laughs> and... Uh, so I, but I, and I always knew I wanted to go to university. I read Adrian Mole when I was about ten, and decided I was <laughs> supposed to be. I was supposed to be a uh, permanent student. That's what I wanted for my life. Uh, so I, there was no doubt I was going to university. It was just about what I was going to study. So, at what point did the stage take the place of law? Well, I didn't even know if it was stage necessarily. I realised that what I really wanted to do was to be in L.A. law. (laughs) I realised I wanted to play a lawyer. Uh, And so, and then Grange Hill. And I think once I started Grange Hill and I was being on set with everyone and I felt so respected and so equal to all these professional, amazing actors and people that I realised that that's actually what I wanted to do for my job. And, but I also had my mum and everyone going on about having a backup. So university became what I wanted to do anyway, but also, you know, once I've, um, when I go back into acting, that was always the thing that you say, when I go back into acting, um, you know, it would just be my backup because it's not going to be easy and I might have a month off every now and again. (laughs) So it will be good to have a backup, uh. So that's that. That was the thinking behind behind uni, uh, but there was never really. It was never a question whether I was going to come back into acting. I guess it was just into what kind, because I'd never done theatre before. Now I know. I know. Um, maybe you didn't make it to the cast <laughs> of L.A. Law, but have you ever played a barrister? Never. I'm dying to, Paul. I think you'd be a very good barrister. Thanks. Thank you. I played one once and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I found it very, very um, uh, interesting thing to do because I suppose it's very close to acting in a way, isn't it? Exactly. Um, so, t- yes, obviously you went on to work in Holby City for a, a period of time as well. So you you did a lot of telly. But what was your kind of journey into theatre? Obviously, we I, we met very early on in your theatre career. but Yes. Um, I grew up opposite um, Stratford Theatre Royal. Nope. I grew up opposite Theatre Royal Stratford East and uh, my godmother was an actress, is an actress. And so I grew up watching Pantos, watching all the comedy reviews, the BB Crew, the Posse, you know, a whole generation of British, black and Asian actors, writers, producers, stage management uh, graduated from there. Uh, So I grew up watching theatre and I was obsessed with it. I loved everything about it. I loved sitting backstage and... uh, and I never, I never realised that there was a big difference between TV and theatre, really. I thought they were the same. Uh, it was only when I came back from uni and was talking about the kind of work I wanted to do and people kind of made it seem like it would be very difficult for me to get into theatre because I hadn't done any and I hadn't been to drama school and blah, 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 which obviously made me want to do it more than anything in the world. <laughs> um, and then... As exactly, Paul, very early on, one of the first theatre auditions I had was for a production called The Firework Maker's Daughter. And it was a group audition, which got me excited anyway. 
And I turned up to this audition and there were about 20 people. Everybody looked completely different from each other and everyone was very friendly and it was very physical and we were led by this crazy funny guy who was uh, really inviting and welcoming. And to me, that was that's what I had always thought theatre was. That's what I had always thought a rehearsal room would be. And um, that was it. I didn't want to do anything but that, really. And then I got the job, which was absolutely amazing. You've um, you've obviously gone on to work at some extraordinary theatres. Um, uh, the Young Vic, the Donmar Warehouse, I think. All of these amazing spaces. Is there, and you don't have to name names, but is there any job that you regret taking? <laughs> <laughs> but you can be very discreet, Aisha. Can I? I mean, I've never been able to be discreet before. I don't know why you think suddenly. <laughs> I would say, while you're thinking, I remember very early on doing a job which I'd done the previous year. They offered it me again the second year for like six months. And I was so worried at that point about would I work again that I, I said yes. And I kind of slightly regret that I wasn't braver in saying no, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And how was it the second time? Terrible. <laughs> As you knew it would be. Okay, no, I can, I can talk about this one. I think the first job I ever regretted was a play about... On the... Oh, it sounds beautiful. Sounds It's a gorgeous idea. It's about uh, the man who... Um, introduced tap tap who started you know the american version of tap dancing it was like an amalgamation of irish dancing and something called patting the juba that was a uh replacement for a lot of the enslaved people when their drums were taken away they would pat the juba is what it was called um so anyway it was a great show it's a lot of tap dancing wonderful tap dancers great actors um, and I think, I mean, it really wasn't until probably a preview when I really regretted it. But we were minstrels. I, I was part of a minstrel show, Paul. Yeah. And I, in fact, I don't even think I regretted it in the previews. It was, a, a, I think it was on the press night when I was dressed in a full corset. So I was, I played a minstrel. I also played a madame obviously, of the time, kind of Barbara Windsor type. And I was in this full corset and bustle and whatever. And then, and we had, had that was it, I was having a, a contretemps with P.T. Barnum's missus, who had a bit for the tap dancer, and we were having a bit of beef over him. And in the middle of this very heated argument, we had to turn to the audience and start beatboxing. Um... Yeah. And I remember <laughs> turned to the audience. I was full in it, Paul, full in it. And then I turned to my left to my colleague, a wonderful actress called Luana Priestman. And we both looked at each other in our corsets and bustles, beatboxing, and just laughed because I remember pointing at her and thinking, you look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to do that every night. Looking at each other, looking at how ridiculous we looked. Particularly when one night I forgot to take off my black face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is a brilliant story. I think actors know somewhere inside, don't they? 
about something. They don't necessarily articulate it, but I can really, again, relate to that moment of the two of you looking at each other, knowing what on earth are are we we doing? doing? It's a strange thing in Told by an Idiot. I think we've always had this, because we are actors and we're an actor's company, Mm. and I'm an actor, I think we've always had the desire to ensure that there are no moments in the show in which the actors feel, oh, I don't really like this bit. And by actively thinking that, I'm not saying we succeed every time, but by actively having it as a, a kind of desire to address, it makes me feel slightly better somehow. Particularly yeah. when, when I'm directing and I'm, I'm sending actors out to do something every night. I want them to feel as much pleasure and, and as yes. little embarrassment or discomfort <laughs> as possible. And I think that is key as to why uh, I love working with idiots, why I love watching idiots, is because at the root of everything is about listening to yourself, but listening to actors, listening to actors' guts, the performers' instincts. And, um, yeah, they, they, I mean, of course, they do lead you down the wrong decision sometimes. Take, taking the wrong jobs but like you're saying I think if if you're if as a performer you know that everything you're saying and doing and offering to your audience you believe in uh, that is yeah that's invaluable it's interesting if we we kind of as we come to a close of our little chat here about you and but about acting it's interesting because I completely agree with you that's a brilliant way of putting it I think about listening to yourself and listening to each other and I've been very lucky to share the stage with you to direct you and in a sense it was wonderful to share the stage with you and create Napoleon when we were again directed by another great actor Catherine Hunter and I a two-hander is quite a particular thing to make a whole show when there's just two people and um, you were so brilliant in that at all the things you ended up having to do and create but with immense heart and then in the same sense sharing the stage with you and watching you in something like life of galileo at the at the young vic where you were, you were brilliant in that and and i think that range which maybe starts with salt and pepper um and goes on through <laughs> and goes on through great chill or whatever i think you've shown a, a, a brilliant range as an actor and uh, i think your ability to be comfortable in lots of different forms is a real, real credit to you. Um, well, I think it has, not not to interrupt you, Paul, but I do, I think you can take a lot of credit for that uh, because feeling comfortable in a space isn't just about your skill level, it isn't just about um, your confidence in yourself, it really is about the spaces you are in and how you are treated in those spaces. Um I often feel very small in rehearsal rooms, not in stature, but also in voice, in contribution level. Uh, but I have never felt in an idiot rehearsal room or on any idiot job, little or, and importantly, I've never been the only one, Paul. And I don't even know if you've done that on purpose, but that in itself um, allows you to feel unconsciously like you belong like you are accepted, like you are among um, people who give you value. And that in itself unlocks everything, Paul, because you're not scared to uh, explore your range, to see how silly you can be, to see what your imagination comes up with, to see 
you know, to try and make Paul one to laugh. Like extending that range is is part of being accepted or feeling um like you found your tribe. Well, that means a lot. Thank you very much, Asia. Just before we finish, I wonder if I could ask you, I've got 10 very quick questions. Okay. Uh, which if you could answer, uh, you'll get the idea of it, but if you could answer without thinking, just instinctively answer, whatever. Tea or coffee? Tea or coffee, coffee. Prince or Stevie Wonder? <gasps> Stevie? Next question, fish and chips or curry? Fish and chips. Countryside or the city? Oh, city that's close to countryside. <laughs> Tube or bus? Tube. Aperol spritz or pims? Oh, pims. New Orleans or New York? Oh, I'd have to say New York. Skiing or swimming? Swimming. All day. Camping or caravan? Camping. And finally, Spike Lee or Quentin Tarantino? Spike Lee all day, but both of them need to learn how to love black women properly. Exactly. And on that note, <laughs> that is a perfect end. Aisha, it's been a real joy to chat to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. It's been joyful. I will see you very, very soon. Yes, please.